My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Tina Roberts-Jeffers and Drew Moore. Across North America in the last few decades, it has been hard to find any governments in any jurisdictions that don't fall somewhere on the spectrum between quietly undermining and fanatically attacking public services. When it is public education in particular that is in their sights, a popular government tactic has often been to target teachers and to sow divisions between teachers and parents. Some of the most important resistance, on the other hand, has been when teachers and parents have begun from a shared interest in an education system that is strong, well-funded, and public to build relationships, solidarity, and collaborative action. Until quite recently, Nova Scotia has seen relative peace between its teachers and its provincial government. In fact, never in its history had the Nova Scotia Teachers Union engaged in any kind of province-wide job action. When the latest round of negotiations began for the teachers in mid-2015, though there were signs that the province had some rather ambitious goals in terms of containing spending, nobody among the teachers or the general public expected much to be different. By the time the provincial government imposed a contract through legislation in late February 2017, however, everything had changed. The government's actions and public statements throughout this period were much more negative and combative than they had ever been before. Much of what the government sought in bargaining, teachers identified as detrimental to their working conditions and therefore to student learning conditions. According to teacher Drew Moore, as a result of all of this, his rank-and-file colleagues were much more engaged with the negotiating process than he had ever seen them. In particular, more and more of them were insistent that certain key workplace issues related to class sizes, to the pressure for teachers to do ever-increasing amounts of administrative work with no additional time to do it, and to other classroom-related concerns must be addressed. Teachers voted on three separate occasions to reject tentative agreements and overwhelmingly passed a strike vote. Towards the end, the union engaged in a province-wide work-to-rule campaign that involved continuing to teach but withdrawing auxiliary services not explicitly required in their collective agreement. And it wasn't only teachers that were more engaged and politicized than ever before over the course of this process, so were parents. Tina Roberts-Jeffers is a stay-at-home mom of three kids. She's always been a firm believer in the importance of a strong public education system, though she also has her share of criticisms of the specific challenges and barriers that the system puts in the way of African Nova Scotian students. As the conflict between teachers and the government developed, she became increasingly convinced that the government's actions would not only be detrimental to teachers, but would harm students and therefore communities. It was sometime last year when she heard about a small meeting in which a handful of parents were getting together to figure out ways to express their support for the teachers, and she knew she had to get involved. Nova Scotia Parents for Teachers grew quickly, engaged in multiple public and media events, and developed a Facebook presence with more than 19,000 members. The combined efforts of teachers, parents, and also students managed to mobilize some impressive expressions of public support for teachers during the period preceding the provincial government's passage of legislation last month. 
This included what some have identified as the largest demonstration at Nova Scotia's provincial legislature in its history. Alas, this was not enough to stop the government from imposing a contract. For the moment, the struggle to defend public education in Nova Scotia has entered a quieter phase. There are a lot of conversations going on in a lot of different contexts about the events of the past year and about how to move forward. Despite the recent setback, many parents and teachers can identify some hopeful signs as well. Teachers and parents have a new track record of collaboration and new relationships that were built in the course of struggle. Moreover, the public conversation about education in the province has become more lively, enthusiastic, and informed, and includes plenty of voices calling for it to be well-funded, equitable and accessible, and treated as a public good. It's not clear what form this attention and energy might take in the new moment, but circumstances are ripe for solid organizing that is capable of building towards future gains. Moore and Roberts Jeffers speak with me about public education, about the recent struggles surrounding it in Nova Scotia, and about the importance of solidarity between teachers, parents, and students. We spoke by Skype to phone from Nova Scotia. My name is Tina Roberts Jeffers. I am a stay-at-home mom to three small children, and I... I don't know that I'm speaking on behalf of any organization. I am a member of Nova Scotia Parents for Teachers. I was a school counselor before I had children and started down, I guess, a different life path. What brought me to this issue is just my interest in education, how important I think having access to quality public education is for everyone and in particular for families of African descent who have sometimes been marginalized by the education system. I think that over time I figured out how much more important it is to be allied with teachers as this dispute dragged out. But initially I think that my interest was in supporting the people who are on the front lines every day, trying to support students and provide the education that we all benefit from as a society. And my name is Drew Moore. I'm a teacher from Nova Scotia. I'm not really speaking on behalf of any other teachers either, but just as a Nova Scotian and as a teacher. I started teaching in Nova Scotia in 2004, and I got involved with the union with the NSTU as a school rep about three years ago, and I'm now on my local executive as the VP of Communications. So over the last few years, I have gotten more involved in the union. But similar to Tina, I'm just someone who's interested in making sure that we have a, a strong public education system that's accessible for all and equitable for all. I should probably disclose, too, that I am a past candidate for the Nova Scotia NDP in the 2013 election. So in the NSTU's 122-year history, we've never actually had a provincial job action, not a work-to-rule action, much less a full walkout strike. To provide some context for what led us to what happened the last couple of months, we have to go back to the summer of 2014. The new finance minister at the time, Randy DeLore, had a meeting with the leaders of several public sector unions to let them know about the government's fiscal plan over the next several years. And that fiscal plan included a wage pattern that they wanted all of the public sector unions to agree to. And the wage pattern was something to the effect of 0% wage increases for the first two years, followed by something like 1.5, 1, 0.5, tagged on at the end of the fourth year. So that's where things began. The teachers' union happened to be the first union to enter into negotiations. Our contract expired July of 2015. So we had our first tentative agreement vote in December of 2015. And the way that it came about was kind of irregular. 
our negotiations team is made up of our president or vice president, some of our professional NSQ staff members. And this time we had an external lawyer as well as a couple other teachers. And usually these things take a fairly lengthy time to go through the process. And quite suddenly, in November 2016, I think it was, we got an email saying we have a tentative agreement. It was very much out of the blue. We hadn't even known that there had been any meetings going on. As it turns out, what had happened was our external lawyer had met with some unnamed representative from the government. And we were told that, you know, now there's an agreement. And there was some questionable aspects about that. There was word that there was the possibility of legislation if we didn't agree to this agreement. So our provincial executive recommended the membership ratifies the agreement and kind of alluded to the fact that there was the possibility of legislation if we turned it down. In that ratification vote, 94% of teachers voted, which you know is quite high for ratification vote. And of that 94%, 61% voted against it. It's the first time that the NST has ever voted against a tentative agreement. And sure enough, that was quickly followed by Bill 148, which was an emergency bill that the government put in place to impose the wage pattern and to strip us of our long-term service award. That was passed, and they never proclaimed it. So all they have to do is take to the lieutenant governor to, to have it proclaimed. Then we went back into negotiations through the course of 2016, and then we had a change in president in June of 2016, so we had a change in our negotiations team. And then September 2016, we had our second tentative agreement. Again, this time 94% of teachers voted on it. This time 70% rejected it. And then we requested mediation. There was talk of arbitration. The premier said he didn't want to go to arbitration. So there was some back and forth a little bit for a while there, and it looked like talks were really stalling. So at the beginning of December 2016, the Nova Scotia Teachers Union had a strike vote. We had over 100% turnout on that vote with quite a large mandate to strike. It was a, I think it was a 96% mandate to strike. The reason why it was over 100% turnout was because our active reserve members and any substitute teachers working on today are also allowed to vote. So we had quite a high turnout. So with that strike mandate, our provincial executive decided to go on work to rule, which was a partial withdrawal services. So we were still teaching, students were still in class, but we were withdrawing things like extracurricular activities, extra health sessions, meetings after school, staff meetings, and things like that. When we announced the work to rule, we gave a week for parents to be prepared for the change in circumstances. And another odd development happened that weekend where the Minister of Education determined that because part of work to rule, teachers would not be showing up until 20 minutes before school started and leaving 20 minutes after, that these conditions were not safe for students arriving at school because of the possibility of there being no supervision. So the government shut down schools that Monday to students, but teachers would still arrive. The same day, they also announced that they were going to introduce Bill 75, which is going to impose a contract upon us. That happened on a Saturday. There was a huge outcry from the public. It got very messy that Monday when they went to introduce the bill. They backtracked. There was quite some controversy that day. Teachers were in school. Students were not. Students organized a rally outside of Province House, and the government ended up backing up from their position. They allowed students to go back in on Tuesday, which was not the original plan, and they withdrew Bill 75. So we kind of were in a holding pattern for a while there. We tried to enter back into talks. They didn't go anywhere again. And then we had a third tentative agreement vote early 2017. This time we had over 100% turnout again. And this time we had 79% rejected this contract. And then as a result of that, the government did indeed go ahead with Bill 75 and closing the contract upon us. So that's how we got to where we're at. I entered the process a year into it in the fall of 2016. 
after the second contract had been rejected and there was going to be a vote about whether to take job action or not, someone was organizing a steering committee for public social parents for teachers. And out of that group grew this Facebook group that had over 19,000 members of people who were interested in supporting the teachers. For me, it boiled down to trust. Who did I trust more, the teachers or the government? At the beginning, I was sure that I trusted the teachers more, which is why I felt like I needed to say something. At this point, it's so hard to even cope with the types of things that happened throughout the contract dispute that led to the government demeaning and demonizing teachers, the very people who are providing the province's children with a public education, the only education that many people can afford. So at what point did each of you recognize that there was something different or weird or out of the ordinary going on with this set of negotiations? Teachers in the past, as I mentioned, we've never actually rejected an agreement before. Teachers kind of tend to have broad shoulders. You ask them to do something and they say, yeah, we'll find room on our plate to do it. I know a lot of my colleagues are very much that way. They tell them that they got to do another meeting. They say, okay, we'll figure it out. Ask them to volunteer to do another extracurricular and they say, okay, yeah, we'll figure it out. And with the first tentative agreement back in 2015, it was just very unusual the way that it went down. There's a real tone to the way the government approached these negotiations. A lot of teachers felt that it was very disrespectful. And teachers started talking. This is not something that I've really seen before. Like I said, I've been teaching since 2004, and most teachers that I've seen, they've got their heads down, they're in their classrooms, and they're just trying to stay on top of what's in front of them. So we don't really get that many opportunities to talk with each other about how we feel about negotiations. To be honest, most members of the NSU, in my experience, myself included in the past, haven't really paid that much attention to what's going on with our union. And then this time, people start asking questions. They well, wait a second, what's actually in this agreement? So people started taking a hard look at it, and they said, there's nothing in here about class gaps, and there's nothing in here about dealing with a lot of the administrative tasks that we have to deal with now. Over the last five, 10 years, we have new online databases for tracking data. So things like marks, but also things like if I have a conversation with a child about an incident, or if I have to contact home, social log it in this database called PowerSchool. It's very time intensive and teachers are finding that that's very difficult. And so when they actually started taking a close look at this agreement, they said, oh, well, you know, some of our classes are 30 plus, 40 plus students. There's nothing in here about that. We're spending a lot of time every day plugging data into this database power school. And there's nothing in there about that either. So a lot of teachers started talking to each other because a lot of us felt like we're being taken away from what we should be doing, which is teaching. Once it was clear that a contract hadn't been reached and there was more and more media attention being paid to it, I think something that started to tip me off was just the type of conversation that was being had about the contract dispute. The NSTU is about 75% women, and all throughout the time I was involved, there would be media statements about, you know, how disappointed we are in the union and the teachers for having made this decision. Teachers were being expected to be present and take on certain responsibilities outside of what the rules were and outside of what the structure was for no extra compensation just because they are expected to show up for students. And so the 
conversation started to question whether teachers were really concerned about the well-being of students because, after all, after-school activities and sports and all of these things are so important and letters of recommendation are so important and all of these types of conversations started to come up. And I took particular issue with it in part because of the amount of unpaid labor women are already expected to perform in their personal lives and then to have the government shaming teachers for not doing what to me amounts to personal favors for their students to choose to not eat, to not go to the bathroom, to choose to give up their lunch break so that they can meet with parents or to choose to stay at school until seven or eight or nine. And these are things that teachers were doing without complaint and to have them characterized as people who were, you know, just interested in wages and were putting students at risk was just a little ridiculous to me. As that type of rhetoric continued up until the bill was passed, I realized that it wasn't the type of negotiations that I had expected the government to engage in. And Tina, tell me more about Parents for Teachers. It started off as something very small, just a handful of people getting together and deciding that we were going to express our support for teachers. And that was going to basically be it. And then people really connected to that idea of supporting teachers. There was a Facebook group that was started and people started to join the Facebook group and share their thoughts and comment on each other's thoughts and collaborate for ways to express support and plan rallies and conversations to talk about it. I have a lot of interest in the education system, especially as a Black parent, because within Nova Scotia, there are different outcomes for Black children. So, I mean, I just connected with people as someone who was concerned about education. So it started with a press conference, and then we also had a forum of sorts where different people were invited and had a conversation and took questions from the audience about the concern that the public had about what was happening during this contract dispute. And then we also had a couple of rallies. We had another press conference. Those are the main activities. And just supported people. Rohat made little buttons to pass out to people so that people could walk around showing their support for teachers. And Drew, what sorts of things did teachers do to get their message out? One big thing that happened internally was around the time of the first tentative agreement vote, there was a Facebook group that was created called Nova Scotia Teachers Speaking Out. It quite quickly grew, similar to the Parents for Teachers group. We didn't quite get their numbers, but it was about over 6,000 active teachers, retired teachers, educational assistants on there. And it was really that group where teachers started picking up their heads and started chatting with each other that allowed teachers from Sydney to Yarmouth to Amherst to Halifax and everywhere in between to start communicating with each other and start finding out that we don't all have the same issues, but there's a lot of similar themes right across the province. And it's when we started having those conversations online that we started realizing that our public education system in Nova Scotia really has some serious issues that need to be addressed. And I think a lot of us, because we had been so much in our own bubble, hadn't realized just how widespread and how broad some of these issues were. This Facebook group is not run by the union, even though it includes a lot of union members and even though a lot of the union leadership have been active on there. 
and the activity on the script speaks to the need for such a forum where teachers can speak with each other. It's had some drawbacks, but I think overall it's been a very positive thing. I've never seen internally teachers disengaged with the union, disinformed. And I think as a result of it, this upset and this concerned either. One of the biggest things that teachers have been talking about has been our working conditions. So that's been really important that teachers have been speaking more openly, more publicly, and more frankly about what's going on. We've been having rallies a couple of years ago. It's not something that we really did all that much. And now we had what a lot of people reporting was the largest rally ever held at Province House in Nova Scotia. So teachers in Nova Scotia have really found our voice. And I think that now that that cat is out of the bag, it's not going to go back in. So what kinds of possibilities are created by these new and stronger relationships between teachers and parents in terms of addressing other kinds of public education issues? For instance, the kinds of specific challenges and barriers that African Nova Scotian students face in the system. From a community perspective, from a parent's perspective, there's so many parents who have certain challenges with the education system, and at times it feels like as an individual or as members of a certain group, you're you know, yelling at the system and yelling into the wind and not hearing any response. And it was only through the decision by the teachers and the teachers' union to push this conversation into the public and to have conversations about working conditions, to have conversations about what it means to not have class caps, to have conversations about how we can improve the education system. That's not something that individuals can do. One of the things that I thought along the process is that here we have the Nova Scotia Teachers Union and the government has to listen to them, has to come to the table and at least hear the concerns. Whereas, you know, as a member of the public, you can send a letter to the minister or whoever and you may or may not get a response. The conversation that we were having was about what it is that we hope to see in the education system and then finding an opportunity to partner with teachers to share what's actually happening in classrooms because there are many parents and students who feel like there need to be certain changes in the system. I think that there was a lot of encouragement for more political action for the future. The conversation really at the core of it was about what our public education system here in Nova Scotia is going to look like, whether it is actually going to serve the children of our communities or not, and whether we're going to make that investment. Because a lot of it got boiled down to the fiscal priorities of this government, as if those fiscal priorities are more important than preparing the children of the province to actively participate in our society, to not only learn what they need to learn for the purposes of getting a certain job and earning a certain income, but to really be able to engage critically with the people who are around them, to be able to express themselves, to be able to exercise the type of, you know, imagination and creativity that we're going to need as we deal with things like climate change and immigration and all sorts of really complicated matters. The process of working together with teachers, I mean, I always talk to my teachers about both the support I have for them and about how, you know, Black students are doing. It's about relationships and relationship building. And so this opportunity to build relationship and to have open conversations 
about the state of public education is one that benefits everyone who is taking a seat at the table. So now that a contract has been imposed by legislation, what happens next? In terms of rank file teachers, there's a lot of soul searching that's going on right now. I know that there's a lot of discussions happening with a lot of staff at different schools where people are trying to figure out, you know, what happens now. But I think now that people are engaged, I think you're going to see a lot more people interested in being more actively involved in the union. I think you're going to see more people running for positions on their locals for the provincial executive, more people wanting to be delegates to our annual council. And that Facebook group I mentioned is still very active. Still lots of discussions going on and Parents for Teachers is still very active. There's still been some get-togethers, some meetings of people saying, you know, what happens now? I think now that teachers have been mobilized and now that the community members have been mobilized as well, I think what happens now is we get organized. So we're not just reacting the next time because it's not just about contract disputes. It's about the education system. We need to organize to address it. From a parent or community perspective, a lot of the same work is going on in terms of figuring out exactly how to move forward, given everything that happened, you know, continue to encourage each other to not let the momentum that we had leading up to the building pass, to not let that fade, to figure out how to channel that. Some people are channeling it into a political direction in terms of preparing for the next set of elections that we're likely to have over the next year and making sure that the people who made the decision to impose the contract are elected. Others are trying to steer the conversation in a way that makes sure that education remains a priority regardless of who the government is. I feel like that's the direction that I feel myself most drawn to, to make sure that we facilitate as many public conversations on education and the value that the public education system plays in all of our lives. The issue of rural schools is one that's on top of mind for a lot of people. In the community where I teach, there are parents and teachers who are rallying around the possible closure of an elementary school there. On the South Shore, there's two elementary schools that are being closed in one community there, so people are rallying around that issue. Cape Breton, I think over the next five years, something like 17 schools are set to be closed. So I think that that's one area where you are going to see a lot of action taking place. On the Nova Scotia Parents for Teachers side, the idea of organizing social events and other conversations and talks to continue connecting people and making sure that the relationships and conversations that were started don't fade have been on our radar. And the Facebook page is still very active. There are people commenting every day and raising the types of questions that we have about how to move forward and how to move forward in a way that respects what the teachers were fighting for. The goal at this point is just to make sure that those conversations keep happening and maybe build into something else. You have been listening to my interview with Tina Roberts-Jeffers and Drew Moore about recent struggles related to public education in Nova Scotia. To learn more about two of the organizations involved in this struggle, go to nstu.ca or search for Nova Scotia Parents for Teachers on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, 
go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>